Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome to Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Today we're going to be talking to Kate Harvey. Of course, mainstay of WA cricket over almost 30 years now. Kate, welcome. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. Mate, uh, it's been a long time involved in cricket for you and and still actively involved now. Yeah, probably more so now than, than ever really, being um, being in it full-time and, and, and admi- administration. So um, sort of came through the gates when I was 17 in, in pathway cricket and I was lucky enough to play for WA in the in the mid-90s. And um, and then, yeah, a fair few experiences within cricket that, that sort of led me to this role um, in high performance over the last four years. So it's been, um, it's been a fair while, but um, enjoying it now more than ever. Let's go right back to the start. Tell us about your childhood growing up and how you first became involved in sport. Yeah, I think just a really sporty family. My dad was actually in, into rugby league, which was pretty random um, in the 80s in WA. So um, I didn't grow up in a traditional AFL sort of sense. But um, yeah, I just played all sports. I think the main sport that I played that I really loved and, and sort of grew into was t-ball actually, more so than than footy or, or cricket. But, um, yeah, my family moved to the northern suburbs and then you, you sort of move into some of those um, more mainstream sports and just played everything. Um, but sort of really um, T-ball and footy were probably the two main things that I played. And then it wasn't until I was early teens that I, I sort of found cricket, um, probably more so through school than anything. And um, um, T-ball into baseball became um, a bit of a transition and then playing cricket in the same season. I remember distinctly being 14 and, um, and was doing both for one year. And I think mum sort of said enough's enough, um, with all the, all the carting around. And, um, for whatever reason I chose, um, I chose cricket. Um, and that's probably the first time I, you know, I was playing, um, or focusing on cricket more than, more than t-ball or, or footy. And, um, and certainly when you're playing it at school, you get the opportunity to practice and train a little bit more. So, um, it's probably a later start. I certainly didn't play cricket in outside of the backyard, um, uh, at a younger age with any great intent, but, um, yeah, probably found it in my early teens. Big family, small family? Nah, small family. Mum and dad are younger brother. Um, used to, we used to beat each other up and, um, and compete in the, in the, in the front yard, whether it was footy, cricket, wrestling, whatever the case may be. So, um, he's very sporty, played waffle footy, um, really good baseballer. So, um, yeah, we always had a ball in hand at some point, I think. Which suburb did you grow up in? Which school did you go to? Yeah, I went to Corrine. I lived in Corrine. Um, <clears throat> so that was, um, Probably not the cream that we know today. Um, I think we were the first house on the street. So, um, whereas that's um, that's shifted a fair bit now. Um, Funny enough, I went to Guildford Grammar. So um, I'd spent two years in Melbourne, um, where my dad got transferred for his work. And at five and six, that's how I reluctantly now I'm a North Melbourne supporter. I stumbled across them at a young age. Um, um, and so, um, <clears throat> but yeah, my my dad's family had been um, to Guildford. And my parents were keen to send me to a private school. So um, we shuffled out there every day for the next um, 12 years from 
from sort of early on to, to finishing high school was, um, was all out of Guildford Grammar. So you were a day goer? Yeah. Yeah. So back then the roads probably weren't set up as well as what they are now. So it was a bit yeah. more of a trek and we used to catch the train and, um, that was a really good school. You know, it was a, it was, um, we probably tried to punch above our way a little bit, but, um, yeah, it was great. Like a lot of those schools are the, the broader experience around education and sport and extracurricular activities was really good. So, um, I had some really great cricket coaches, um, through that period. Tony Mann was my first cricket coach in year eight. Um, a guy called Les Varis later on, who were all really strong cricket people. So it was a good grounding. That's probably where I played more cricket and then transitioned into playing, um, later on for Scarborough. You mentioned T-ball. Were you a batter or a fielder? Oh, I think in T-ball you have to be a bit of everything. Um, you sort of, you, you, you wind up. I think that's where, um, if anything, as that correlates to cricket, I think that's where you learn to throw probably more than mm. anything. Um, and as it's, as funny as it stands, I've transitioned to playing baseball in my later years as a, as something to do, um, later on. And the arm sort of still holds up from those formative years of learning how to throw and getting volume of throwing. And I think you've seen that in cricket with the borders and the chapels and different things. I think the tra- the the T-ball is a really good foundational sport for, um, for other sports. And that certainly was the case for me. I felt like my fielding was better, um, in cricket and my, my throwing was certainly better for having that experience as a, as a kid in T-ball. How's the arm now? The arm's in pretty good shape. Yeah. I, I, I pitch on a Sunday for the Korean cats. I've gone full circle. I go back and play at the club that I, I played for as a kid, um, with my brother and, and some really good mates. And we've had a blast the last couple of years. It's been, been something we try to do just to keep active and, and social and it's turned into something that's been really good fun. So yeah, it's funny how my, my daughters both played T-ball at Corrine, um, and I've sort of gone back there later in life and, um, and yeah, gone full circle. So, um, yeah, it managed to get, it took a while to wind it up. Uh, even in my coaching, you use the wangers a bit now, so you don't have to use your arm as much, but, um, certainly enjoyed, um, getting back in there and, um, yeah, now I'm holding up okay at this stage. I don't know what, how old it was. I was when mine went, but I can tell you when it goes, it really goes. You go from being able to throw at 80 to being able to throw at about 25 and it doesn't take very long. Yeah, I thought that had happened actually. I'd, I'd, I'd done a bit of coaching with the 19s one year and, and I felt like I'd thrown my arm out and I was 12th man a lot when I played for WA, so you were throwing a lot of balls. Um, and I thought at one point I'd cooked it. Um, but um, yeah, once I decided to get back into baseball and got some good friends and staff in at the Wacker who were able to put it back on the right path and, and strengthen it up and allow me to go and do something that I'm really enjoying. So yeah, it's bounced back on, uh, in, in a surprising way, I suppose. When you started playing cricket, did you think there'd be a career in it for you or was it just for fun? At the start? Oh, it was fun. I was always competitive. Um, so I was always trying to improve and, uh, and I was, I, was a, I, I suppose a competitor on field. Um, but throughout my whole career, I, I was never the best player in the team. I, you know, I don't think if anyone who I played with when we were 13, 14, 15, whether that's at Scarborough or, or Guildford, um, would have thought that I would have played state cricket. I still think there's a lot of blokes who are better players than me. And for some reason, um, the cards fell my way. I played state 17s. Um, you know, I think at the time when I was coming through the state system, a lot of our top bowlers were in particular were six foot five and I was maybe a point of difference. I still don't know how that played out, to be honest. I think sometimes it's right place, right time. And I think once you get that opportunity, um, everyone just wants that first crack at it. Um, mm. And if you make the most of that, then, then opportunities present. But I was always pretty determined and pretty competitive. And I think that held me up given that I didn't think through that whole um, early stage career that I was the most talented player, but I think, and you also find your niche, you know, I found my niche in one day cricket, um, 50 over cricket where I was able to sort of give myself a spot and that gave me a chance to stay in the squad and keep developing and you end up playing a bit more shield cricket. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think looking back that I would have been viewed in any way, even by myself that I was going to end up playing 11 years of state cricket, but it was, um, yeah, it was a good journey. So 
what drew the attention of the the talent development pathway, I guess, judges to you? Do you think back then? Yeah, I'm not really sure because I didn't I didn't really bowl a lot when I was sort of 15. I was playing for Scarborough as an opening bat. Um, you hear those stories of players who have a totally different skill set in their pathway and then they transition. But um, yeah, I just remember had a, I had a really good um, last year of school cricket at, at Darlow. Um, took a lot of wickets, I think that, and I was a, I was a swing bowler, which was probably a, an advantage. But um, yeah, I, I don't know sure what it was because my batting didn't really develop until I was 19 or 20. I didn't feel like that was up to scratch. And, you know, Noddy Holder was really instrumental in, in turning that around. We put a lot of time in it because I knew that I didn't, I didn't think that I'd be able to keep playing state cricket just on my bowling. Felt like I needed to improve my batting. And whilst I batted okay in, in, in junior cricket, I, it wasn't until we sort of did that work in my, my late teens and early twenties that I was got the opportunity about four for Scarborough and, and sort of evolve and, you know, ended up playing a few shield games, batting six and seven. So that certainly wasn't on the cards early on. It was more my bowling. Um, but again, I don't know if it was just point of difference. I don't, I don't really know, to be honest. Um, there probably wasn't as many metrics and different things that we have mm -hmm. now at, at our disposal when we make those same sort of decisions. But I think it was a real case of right place, right time. And, and for whatever reason, they saw something that, that gave me that first opportunity at 18, 19 years of age. Who taught you swing bowling? Oh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know about who, who taught me swing bowling. I, I think it's a bit like, probably a bit like my, my daughter at the moment. When she first wanted to play cricket, for some reason she could bowl and apparently it looked like me. But so there was something innate, um, I think, in when you just bowled and it swung. And I think what the challenge was is that as, as you got up the grades that um, it's easy to try and bowl faster to try and feel like you need to go up the level um, and you can lose it a little bit. And I think that's been the challenge of a lot of guys going from premier cricket to first-class cricket. But certainly had some really good coaches, as I mentioned before, Les Varus and um, Ken Lilly was a good coach for me at... Um, at Scarborough and, you know, Dennis was giving of his time. Dennis Lee was giving of his time at, at different stages. But, um, yeah, I think when you're only five foot nine and not rapid, you've got to do something with it. So, um, for whatever reason, it, it, um, it could swing and, and that, that shifted over time. But, um, you know, when you're playing white ball cricket and bowling at the death, you're not looking to swing it. So, um, you know, transitioning from those roles was always a challenge with red ball, white ball, something the players face, you know, today. Um, but yeah, certainly a lot of really good influences, but, um, don't specifically sort of remember getting taught how to swing it. It was just something that was um, that at an early age I was able to do. When you played grade cricket for the first time, how old were you then? Oh, I would have been I would have been seventeen, turning eighteen, eighteen I reckon. Um, and this was at Scarborough. Yeah, so I played a year of back end of school year, um, playing uh, third grade. So you'd go from seventeens in the morning playing third grade, and you got to. Back then you had some real veterans playing third grade and it was a great experience um, for that back end of the season. And the next year I remember playing one game of, of second grade and went okay and then ended up going up to A grade. So from there it was, I sort of didn't look back from, from that first game of maybe 18. And to be honest, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't that far away from, from a first class debut, which is probably the next year. So um, again, all a, all a bit of a whirlwind really. We'll take a break there and we'll come back and we'll talk about your state underage representative career and obviously the graduation into first-class cricket. This is Inspiring Sports Stories, thanks to Barrett and O'Day. We're talking to Kate Harvey. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Yes, this is Inspiring Sports Stories, thanks to Baron O'Day. We're talking to Cade Harvey. Cade, you played 
interstate cricket for WA at under 17 and under 19 level. Who were you playing with and against at that stage? Uh, it was probably more, um, probably the 19s was the one that stands out the most in terms of players that, you know, we won the 19s that year, which was a really strong group. We had Simon Kadich, Michael Hussey, Rob Baker, um, obviously Kat and, and Huss went on to, to, to really high honours and, and wonderful careers. But um, that was a really talented group um, that we had in that 19s. And like I say, we won the championship when it was against all the six states. There wasn't Metro and, and Country and um, it was a real high performance tournament. We played against Gillespie's, Lees, um, all those sort of guys. And they were the guys that I then sort of found myself at the at the Cricket Academy with um, down the track. So, um, yeah, it was a pretty strong um it was a pretty strong crew through that period, but particularly that that nineteen year was probably the the standout in terms of the quality of team that we had and the and the players that went on to to wonderful careers. Where was the the national championship held when you won? Uh, we were in Melbourne, so we played against Brad Hodge. He was playing for Victoria. He was a big dog as a young as a young player in Victoria. He was probably one of the older players in that age group. But um, yeah, we beat a Victorian team at the Albert Ground um, um, that that year. Um, having beaten, I think, South Australia with Gillespie maybe the game before. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, some pretty strong um, – Andrew Simons was playing for Queensland. Um, so, yeah, there were some pretty good players playing in that. And we um, – yeah, we just had a really strong – really strong batting lineup from memory. Bowling probably not quite as strong, but um, we managed to to defend really well and um, with the batting that we had. Um, it was a pretty strong team and um, and some really good friendships that are still in place from, from those times. How did you go bowling – to blokes like that when you're a little medium paced trundler trying to get it offline? Yeah, we weren't. We didn't have the greatest of depth. So I, th- I think that year I found myself opening the bowling, which I thought, sort of thought, oh, geez, we're not going that flashy if, I'm, if I've got the new pill. Um, but I think we had Graham Porter from memory, who was a really good coach, and we had a really strong defensive game plan. So we sort of, um, you know, we'd bowl, we'd bowl fourth stump line and we'd build pressure and we'd, we executed from memory that sort of stuff really well. We were never going to be a blast them out sort of team. I remember... You know, we're playing New South Wales and you're facing Nicholson and Lee and these sort of guys and it was a different game. But is, we, that, is that Brett or Shane? Yeah, Brett. Brett it was, yeah. Quick? Um, Thunderbolts, yeah. And just didn't just wanted to bowl fast, yeah. And that, he was the same at the academy. Fast nets in the Adelaide Oval Indoor Centre. Um, Brett just wanted to bowl fast, um, which wasn't the greatest of fun um, all the time. But, yeah, we just – I think we just had a really strong game plan from memory through that um, and executed it really well without, without having the out-and-out ball speed that – um, that was probably to come in years to come, you know, with, with, with WA teams. So, um, yeah, it's good fun, good memories. You, you know, you stay at a uni barracks or for uni dorms. Um, but it was, um, yeah, it was, um, really good experiences. So you played, uh, for the under 19s national team as well, didn't you? You played against India. Yeah. So then my second year of 19s, I played another year of 19s, um, the next year. Um, and from that I was selected in a, in an Australian under 19s team that played. Uh, India in a series in, in Australia. Um, so yeah, that was a totally foreign experience. Even though we were playing Australian wickets, we were playing against Indian spinners and, um, we ended up that, that series we ended up in, I think we were Mount Gambier. We played in a few different places and we ended up playing a four day game, um, at the MCG, um, which is a bit of a highlight where you're, you're playing with some pretty good players. Um, uh, in those, in those games, Brett was playing, Brett Lee was playing in that game and, um, and yeah, I managed to. That was when I sort of got my call up um, after that after that game against India, the Test series. Having I, I struggled a bit through that. I struggled a bit against with the Indian spinners and yeah. um, being an all rounder and, and those sort of things. But um, that's when the sort of the next opportunity presented. Describe yourself at that time: batting all rounder, bowling all rounder, genuine all rounder. What were you? No, I was very much a bowling all rounder. Um, 
at that stage. I was still in the throes of, you know, Rod had done some work with me at the Cricket Academy. He gave me the squash ball as well um, when the bottom, bottom hand got a bit tight. So this is Rod Marsh? Yeah, so Rod had, Rod had sort of, um, I'd actually got a stress fracture through my time at the Academy um, uh, that was to come after that. But I'd, you know, I'd, I'd started to put some work into my batting then. I'd played in the Australian under-19s batting at six. Um, so at that level I was. But when I played my shield game the next week, I was, I was batting eight and um, I felt like that was the right spot for me. Um, but that's where over time I was able to, you know, really put some time into it. Like I said before, having that leg into the foot into the, into the one day team sort of gave me the opportunity to be around for long enough and give the impetus to sort of train and, and work on the batting to be able to try and be more of a genuine all rounder. Um, I think like all all rounders, you sort of tend to be going okay with one and not the other. It's hard to get them both going at the same time. You know, I batted, always batted four in premier cricket. Um, um, and that was a good opportunity, but yeah, at that stage, I felt like I was, I was certainly in the team as a, one of, you know, three or four quicks and a, and a bowling around at the time. Tell us about life at the Academy. Cause it was still in Adelaide at that time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was a wonderful, um, life experience. I think for me, I, I grew up a fair bit. I think, um, you know, being, being at home and, uh, being 17 or 18, you, you know, I'd, I'd actually completed, I'd failed and but had a crack at first year uni. I was doing my first year pharmacy degree. So mm. I was. I was into that and, you know, I never thought I really wanted to do it. And it wasn't until, you know, people had asked me, oh, would you go to the academy if you got the opportunity? I'd say, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm okay at home. And of course, Rod Marsh rings up and says, do you want to come to the academy? And you go, yeah, I'd love to. Um, so it sort of changed pretty quick when, when Rod made the phone call. Um, oh, but it was a, it was a, it was a wonderful experience. You know, you had at the time, the States were amateur organizations in many mm. respects. You didn't have the support staff or the facilities. So going to Adelaide was you know, you were really transcending the game in terms of what the program was doing. So we had the best coaches, obviously, with Rod and Richard Doan, and we had Richard Cheekwe there as a as an associate coach. But you were with 12 guys every day, working on your cricket every day, getting fit um, and learning about life. Rod was awesome. He, he knew I was doing my pharmacy degree, so he set up with one of his mates. We had to have a job when we were there. Um, some guys would umpire footy, some guys would work around the gardens or within the Del Monte where we are, but Rod organized, I went every Saturday and worked in a pharmacy. So, um, in amongst my training. So I think I, sh I changed a bit after that. I think I grew up a lot. Um, and it fast forwarded my maturing a little bit, not fully. Um, but it certainly, um, was a, was as much a life experience as it was a cricketing one. What do you remember about your, your first class debut? Oh, I remember Brad Williams bowling Thunderbolts. Um, the first one went past my nose and I knew, I knew I was, um, up for a challenge. He was bowling really quick. Um, yeah, we played the, it was the last game of the season. I remember the season was still on the line for probably four teams and we were, it was a live game. Um, as it turned out late in the game, another result didn't go our way, but for whole, the whole of the game, we were sort of in the, in the game. It was a really strange, you know, Damien Martin was the captain, Daryl Foster was the coach. So it was a real transitional moment. Wayne Clark came in the next year, Tom Moody became the captain. So I felt like there was a bit of shifting of, of the team. Um, through that period. And I was a young guy coming in for my first shield game, but yeah, we played Victoria. We ended up um, losing narrowly, but um, yeah, I remember coming in at six for not a lot. And Brad Hogg and I put on a few, um, I think I took two for in each innings. Um, so I held my own, but I remember, I remember knowing I was in the big time when, when Brad Williams was getting him past my nose and coming down and spitting at me. So he was um, quick, wasn't he? He was, he was rapid. Yeah, he, he was. Um, and he had the greatest white line fever you've, you've ever seen. And um, he's bowled some of the spells when someone's, I remember Brad Hodge got into him one day for art when he'd played for us in a one day game and um, he found a gear that I don't know, even know that he had, um, and, and Cambo and Huss after the first board marched just back in the slip cordon. Um, but he could be proper rapid in his day. Yep. Um, 
did you feel like you belonged at that stage or was it a case of you, you felt like you had a way to go? No, I think I always felt like I had a way to go. I, I don't, I don't think I ever got, I never felt that comfortable at that level. Um, I think I found my niche, like I said, in one day cricket where I felt like I could execute and play my role, but I don't think I ever felt comfortable. I didn't even going into that, that shield game, I didn't feel like I was bowling as well as what I could have done. I, you know, there's a few technical things that I probably reflect on now that I understand a little bit more than I did then. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think in shield cricket I ever felt like I belonged. I felt like I always had to be at my best. So, um, one day cricket, I felt like I knew what my role was and I could execute that and I was good under pressure and I could, I could contribute and I, I knew what my role was there. But even, you know, even though I, ended, I did make up a first class hundred and, and played 20 odd games, I don't think I ever felt like I fully was, was belonging at that level, um, in red ball cricket, probably as much as I would have liked. How strong was WA cricket in that era? I mean, there was obviously players around you when you mentioned your contemporaries coming through, but but how strong was the team regarded? Oh, I sort of lived my career over ten years was probably a tale of two halves. I think the first half was was unbelievable. You know, we had we had a um, we had the the young guys coming through like like Cat Huss, um, um, and you had this older crew of Julian Angel Moody. Martin, Gilchrist, Langer, who were all hungry to play for Australia, but we saw a fair bit of them. So I was really fortunate through that time. I was I was in the best one-day team, regardless of whether they were around. So that's something I sort of reflect on and go, that's something to be proud of. I was never in the best Shield team. Um, you know, I would play three or four games each year. You'd never had that continuous run or, or necessarily be in the first team. But that first five years um, was, was unbelievable in terms of the players that I got to train and play with every day because the international schedule was different. You saw more of those guys at training. So you saw how they went about their business and they had a really strong influence. Um, Tom Moody was huge. He was a, a huge figure in early in my career as, as, as captain and leader. And, and Dunny did a really, Wayne Clark did a really good job of bringing everyone together. Um, I think that's where we were struggling. So um, probably not, not so much in the second half, you know, the 2000 to 2005, um, we're still pretty good in one day cricket. You know, we won a one day title that was really, really cool. But um, yeah, the talent and the, where Dubbo cricket was at in that first five years of my career, I feel really fortunate to have been, part of that and I suppose from there on we've been building ever since to sort of get back to where we are now. We'll take a break there and we'll come back and we'll talk about uh, the back half of your career and probably the highlight the two highlights of your career came came near the end in terms of a first class match and also a one day match this is Inspiring Sports Stories thanks to Baron O'Day, we're talking to Kate Harvey don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Yes, this is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. And we're talking to Cade Harvey. Cade, you were the best new talent in the Mercantile Mutual Cup in 1996-97. Was that a WA thing or was that a national thing? No, no it was national. So, um, yeah, that was a pleasant surprise, I think. You know, I'd started, I think, sort of the, as I said before, the opportunity to stay in the game was presented based on the fact that I'd had one day cricket and I'd, I'd started pretty well. And um, I had a really clear role in the team. I was a death bowler. I was um, probably someone that um, the opposition thought they could line up. And I probably um, relished that a little bit, the contest and the ability to, um, yeah, to play that sort of role in the team. And um, I can't remember the stats or what they were, but yeah, it was a national award. Um, yeah, which was really nice, but um, uh, yeah, it was on the back of sort of bowling well and starting my one-day career pretty well. So when you don't have pace as a weapon 
and you're getting lined up and the bats are getting heavier and more compressed. And so it sounds like someone hitting a one wood when the bat hits ball now. How do you avoid getting taken? Like what, what are the tricks you used to turn to? Yeah, I was really lucky early on. I think Mo- Tom Moody was really important for me in setting my fields and knowing what we were, you know, what we were trying to execute. And he would make moves and I'd go, oh, okay, he's done that. And that was really foundational for me in terms of learning how to um, set my field. Um, I think I was okay at assessing where I knew an opposition batter would come for me and where I'd get hurt. Um, I think my bouncer was a little bit quicker. Um, some of the boys reckon I piffed it, but, um, <laughs> what does piff that mean? Throw? Yeah, they reckon I threw it. Um, <laughs> so you sort of find a yard there. And I think when you've got that up your sleeve and I always used to say to guys coming through when I was coaching that if you are a bit short or not, you've got to have a good bumper. You can't allow, um, opposition players to come at you, um, without knowing that there's something that can come. Um, you know, you change your pace. I could hit my Yorker pretty well. Um, so those foundational skills in white ball cricket, I felt like I had, um, control of and, um, if you add a bit of smarts as to where you think someone's going to try and take you down, you can, you can sort of navigate the ball around and, and try and limit the damage. And, um, you know, sometimes it's, they miss you hit, you know, sort of stuff. So you'd bowl a few blokes and, um, but yeah, I think that that all round sort of skill set was pretty important. Uh, if you just bowled length or you, you know, if you, if you weren't, weren't focused or weren't bowling the right ball at the right time, um, yeah, you could get taken down, which still happened, um, but I think on balance, you feel like you came out of those contests pretty well. So were you a person that had to do a lot of work on the opposition? You know, what sort of batsmen they were, what the areas you could and couldn't bowl? Did you have to have, I guess, a high cricket IQ because of the weapons you had? Yeah, and I think um, maybe unlike the game now, we, we have a lot of footage and we have a lot of data um, and you have a lot of planning. You know, so our T20 stuff's really high class in terms of how well prepared the players are to go in and what our matchups look like. I think when I played, um, you had to work it out for yourself. You sort of had to play what was in front of you. Um, and you could see, um, and that developed over time. And again, with really, um, influential captains, you know, we would always have Tom was really strong in that for me, but whether that was Gilly or it was Justin, there were, there was always people around to help you develop that IQ and, and an eye for the game. So, you know, whether it was a player's pickup, whether it was their feet, whether it was what their, you know, where their scoring ranges were, we didn't always have the information. So it made you sort of learn it by watching for it, um, and adapting in game. So, um, I think that certainly held me in good stead and having to compete and, and it not coming naturally. I think that helped my cricketing journey as to where it is even now is that you sort of had to play what was in front of you and learn on the run a little bit. So you play with some pretty special players. Who was the, the most talented player you played alongside? Do you think? Yeah, you sort of occasionally get asked that. It's probably a I don't know if it's a strange response. I think the best player I ever played with was Mike Hussey. I, I just, I just felt like that when you, when you could play and that's not um, being disrespectful to the, to the legends of the game that I've played with, but I always felt like that if you could bat, if you could bat six in a test match, one in, open the batting in a test match, you could bat five in a one day game and get a team home. You could bat four in a one day game and, um, and coming at the end, um, I just felt like with his with his with his fielding skills, um, you know, he bowled leg spin as a as a as a younger as a younger cricketer, which I always respected anyone who could do that. Um, he became a different cat when he, you know, a different character when he got the ball in his hand. He got a little bit fiery, which was nice. But I just felt like his overall skills and ability to plug into any game and make it and work it out. Um, not not that others didn't do that, but I thought he did it the best over a long period of time at the highest level. Was cricket a full-time venture for you at that stage or were you working on the side? 
No, I was working on the side, so I was, I was fortunate um, in a way that, um, you know, we, I think when I first played, there wasn't a contract. You got a match payment. Um, the next year, the contracts were two and a half grand. Um, so you didn't sort of sit back and, um, and have that opportunity. You were, you were, and was, was, was worked out well was to, was to study and, and find a job. So, um, particularly the first five years I was studying and finishing my degree and I was, I met my wife at first year uni and um, she was really supportive, um, through the early stages of, um, of my cricket where I wasn't always a guaranteed a game. She would go and work in my job, take a day off her job and go and work in my job. She was a pharmacist as well. So, and still is, but, um, so I was really well supported through the first, um, first half in particular, it got a little bit more challenging from sort of 2000 onwards where the training requirements were a little bit different. At one point I stepped away from work to focus on cricket. Mm -hmm. Um, but by, by the back end, you know, we, we'd bought our first pharmacy and had our, our first daughter Emma at 27 and I was still playing state cricket. So by the time when I retired, when I was 29, it sort of felt like something had to give and I felt like there was another path for me. And then I felt like I, I'd exhausted everything that I was going to get out of cricket. So, um, yeah, it certainly shifted in the first um, five to 10, five years to the next five years, but it was, it was never, I never outside of probably for 12, 18 months at the back end felt ever treated it like it was a full-time job. Were you ever close? You felt you, you mentioned you're a one day specialist. Did you ever feel close to higher honors in one day cricket? No, I think I was one of those guys that always performed really well. But if you were being brutally honest, would that have transitioned into being really good at international cricket? I'm sure I'm sure just based on the numbers and performances, you know, I played in a lot of one-day finals and, um, and and played in high-profile games in that sense of what one-day cricket was at the time. But I, in my own mind, I, and I know at the time, the Australian cricket team was the Australian cricket team. There wasn't two separate teams, particularly through that period. You didn't, there wasn't the amount of shift that they have between formats now and the T20 format. So, you know, for the first five years, you know, the, the team didn't change a lot. Um, but deep down, I don't, think that that was, you know, I don't think that I was good enough to play at that level as much as based on statistics, you might've thought that, um, you know, may have been talked about, but I don't, I don't ever think that, um, what I was doing was going to stack up at international level, at international level, given where the Australian cricket team was at, they were a hugely dominant team. Mm. And, um, it wasn't probably until a little bit later that the Ian Harveys and James Hopes and those sort of guys started playing. It was a it was almost a cut and paste early in my career of the test team to the one day team. And that started to shift over time. And, um, yeah, I think, I think for most of those guys, I think my bowling might've stacked up. Okay. But I don't think my batting was quite good enough to stack up with a, a Shane Lee or a Ian Harvey or a, or a James Hopes or those guys that played those roles, um, down the track. Let's talk about 2004 and two momentous occasions. You made a first class hundred against Tasmania down at Bell Reef, which I think is now, that's now Blundstone, I think arena. It is. Yeah. And you also played the starring role in the one-day final at the Gabba. Tell us about those two things. Yeah, it was a really nice uh, period of my career. I suppose that that first class hundred was was validation for a lot of work um, to get to that get to that point. Um, you know, I think I batted seven, and um, I think I have to thank JL. I think we were we were going okay, and um, we probably could have he probably could have declared on me, but being a good Scarborough mate and still a very good friend. Um, he, uh, he kept us out there, um, and gave me a bit more time after tea, I think, um, to get there. Um, so that was, that was a nice opportunity, but that had been 10 years of, of investment in, in time from a lot of good people to, to get my batting up to scratch. And, and I suppose that moment was nice in that you feel like if you score a, you know, I remember Huss saying to me, you know, they can never take that away. You know, that sort of, that sort of concept that you have some of that, one of those sort of key moments in your career that, 
Um, to score 100 was a nice thing to do, given that, um, you know, I'd scored a few in Premier Cricket, I'd scored a few in second 11. Um, um, so I felt like I was capable and, and that was as good a time as any to get it. We'd had Tassie on the ropes and, um, and, and we, we were able to, um, and as I said, Joe gave me a bit of time to get there. So, um, it was a good track too, wasn't it? Delrive? Yeah, it was a good track. Yeah, it's different to what it is now. You sort of rock up now and you're not sure which one the cut strip is. Um, <laughs> it's, it's pretty friendly for the seamers early on and flattens out a little bit, but back then it was a, it was a good wicket. I think the game ended in a draw. So in hindsight, it probably, probably didn't help that we batted a little bit longer, but I think that was, you know, I think that was a really nice thing for Justin to, you know, he probably was part of that journey or he was part of that journey. So, um, he backed me in and gave me that opportunity and it's, yeah, it's a nice thing to reflect on, um, given that that wasn't my forte as a kid. So what about the one day final? Um, I think he took four for 28 with the ball and, uh, they made about 240. Yep. And WA was six for 170 and you and Darren Waits got them home. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, we, we, um, I think the backstory to that's probably interesting, more interesting than, than, than maybe the outcome because we'd, um, we'd had a pretty good year and we were good in one day cricket. Um, and we'd actually been to Queensland two weeks before, um, and we only needed to win one of our next two games to, to host the final. Um, but we went to Queensland and, um, they were, they I think they won the toss, but they had Hayden and Law and all these sort of guys, or Jimmy Ma, um, and they put 400 on us. Um, and I bowled eight overs and took none for 80, I think. Um, Andrew Simons got a hold of us and Jimmy Ma made 190, I think, and heading close to thinking you're heading to the final. We were, we were struggling and we had to go to Melbourne the next week and win. Um, we didn't win that game, but we needed someone else to lose. We ended up after when he got bowled out for 200, um, we came, we batted at night. I remember Huss and I batted for a while, but we didn't get close to 400. Um, and so anyway, we had to go, but we ended up scraping into the final having to go to play Queensland in Queensland. Um, and I think we were, I think they were none for a hundred off eight or 10 overs. So we thought this is deja vu. We're going through this all again. Um, and I managed to come on and, and, um, and get both openers out. Um, and the game sort of shifted from there because we just thought we were in Groundhog Day um, and everything had been going into the game that, you know, we'd been there two weeks before and been absolutely, you know, smacked off the park. So we, um, yeah, we ended up wrestling it back and did a really good job. Blocker Wilson was playing and um, uh, Waits, you know, as you said before, Waits is playing and, you know, it, it probably wasn't the most high profile team that I'd played for WA in um, and we were up against it with Queensland and we ended up keeping them to 240. And I remember when Canberra got out at, um, six for 170 or whatever it was, the roar was huge because they thought that's it. Waitsy strolled out and, um, we didn't sort of, we didn't sort of get off to a great start. And I remember at the time we had five overs to go and I think we needed 50 odd. Um, and I just said to Waitsy, I said, mate, I reckon I've got to have a crack here because uh, 50 runs off five overs in 2004, five was a lot. Was a lot. Um, and the, and the stars just aligned. Um, yeah, we, we, we sort of got a bit more proactive and, um, they started cramping. So Andy Bickle got a cramp. Um, someone else went off and got a cramp. Um, and before we knew it, we were facing Clint Perrin, um, in the last over and, and the rest is history that, that Waitsy, um, I can still remember the crack of the bat. He hit one over my head that's, um, that's still going, I think. Um, <laughs> and then we needed four off three balls and I nearly ran myself out next ball, <laughs> getting a bit anxious. And then Waitsy hit the next ball for four and, and we're still great mates. Um, and cause that was a really nice, you know, that's one of those moments you never forget. And, um, we're still really good friends and, um, and, uh, yeah, it was a, it was an unlikely victory, not only just in the game, um, but in what had been the preceding three weeks. And that was, 
you know, I think the footage of Blocker up, jumping up and down, he'd never won a domestic title in his career and it was the back end of his career and, um, Dunny done a great job coming back into his, his second stint as WA coach and everyone was pretty chuffed. And that was when, you know, pre T20 cricket and it was on channel nine and, you know, it was a, it was a big game at the time. Um, but yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was a nice, um, it was a nice, uh, game to be part of, but also to play, I suppose, a, a, a bit of a role in the, in the outcome. We'll take a break there. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Baron O'Day. We're talking to Cade Harvey. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome to Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. And we're talking to Cade Harvey. Cade... The 04 ING Cup final is a career high point, really. Was that the end of it, or did you play a bit after that? No, I played for one more. I played for one more season, um, and that was when I was I was I'd gone okay that year and the prior year, and 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 felt like I was going okay. The knee, I'd, my knees had always given me a bit of grief, and I'd I'd sort of had to look after them. Um, but yeah, no, I played for the next year, and I was playing okay. I played a bit of shield cricket, um, and then sort of midway through the year. I was still playing okay in the one day team, but, um, I ended up, I was batting six and, and just struggled and, and got dropped from the shield team. And that was probably the moment where I thought, well, the only reason I'd hang around to keep playing, cause at that stage I'd played in over 10 years, I played in six one day finals and we'd won three and, um, you know, I'd, I'd done everything that I'd wanted to do, um, outside of winning a shield. That was the only thing, the carrot that would have probably, um, would have been dangled that would have kept me wanting to play. And, um, once I'd rightly been left out of the shield team after battling for a little bit. Um, I felt like, and that was sort of when I was, I had the pharmacy and, and, and Em had been born and, um, that was just the, by the back end of that season and, and, and you don't know it until you experience it, but as a lot of people talk afterwards, I literally turned up to training. I think we'd finished the one day year, we'd missed the final. Um, and we still had a couple of shield games to go. Um, and I remember just going to training and going, no, I'd, don't want to do this. So I actually walked over to training without my bag and just stood around and ended up grabbing Wayne Clark after training and saying, mate, I reckon I'm done. So, um, yeah, I, I think I was fortunate in that I, I always knew that, you know, with being a, a husband and a dad and, and now a pharmacist and business owner that I was going forward, it wasn't like I didn't feel like I needed to hang on to cricket any longer. Um, as much as, you know, being paid to play cricket was really nice. It wasn't where I knew I was going to be retiring and, and, um, and not having to do something else. I felt fortunate in that I'd been forced, the game had forced me to be prepared for that. And when I stepped away, it was a relief and, um, with an exciting opportunity with, um, you know, I've only really stepped away from that in the last five or six years, but with a, a wonderful business partner and, and a great experience in the pharmacy industry. So how did you come back to cricket as a, as a coach and a high performance manager? How did that come about? Yeah, well, it's funny. I probably never really left. I, I remember I, I, I played for Scarborough for another year cause I felt like we had a group of young kids that um, I was captain of Scarborough at the time and I really enjoyed that and I knew I could bat down the order and, and just, um, sort of play a bit of a mentoring role. So I did that for a year, but, um, I remember when I'd finished playing, I got a call from Daryl Foster the next year saying, do you want to be a selector? And I said, oh, mate, I'm not sure. I'm a bit close to it. I think I'll, I'll, I'd rather not. Um, and he rang me a week later and said, well, how about being the 19s coach? And I thought, oh, okay, no worries. So I had this, always had this, um, um, not desire, but I'd always been um, drawn to the game to stay involved in it without any great ambition or idea of where it would lead. It was very much a part-time role. You were just coming in and coaching and, um, I did that. And then Wayne Clark left and then 
Tom Moody came back to be the coach and they asked me to be a selector again. Um, and I thought there yeah, was a bit of a change in the garden. I'll go and do that. So I did that for three years. Um, all the while sort of still doing the pharmacy stuff. And, um, I probably only really had one year off after that. I did three years with Tom and I, I wasn't particularly proud of the Wacker at the time. It wasn't a great organization. Mm. Um, personally, I didn't think we, um, had great values and I didn't think the playing group was in great shape. And I just sort of walked away. I didn't make a big deal about it. I just said, I'll just go and do something else. So I probably only really had a year out. Um, and halfway through the next year was, was JL, um, was appointed. So, um, you know, Justin and I'd kept in touch and, um, had a good relationship that sort of probably became stronger after we stopped playing, um, funnily enough. Um, and we kept in touch. He was working with the Australian team and I said, oh mate, I think something's brewing here. I reckon you'll get a tap on the shoulder. And he was, he was convinced that that wasn't going to happen. But at that stage, Christina had taken over and, um, yeah, he got appointed into that job. And for whatever reason, he said to me, I look, mate, I, you know, I think it was myself and Waitsy and maybe Gilly that he sort of earmarked a few people that he could trust and he wanted to have around. And I mean, he sort of said to me, I want to have you involved. And I said, mate, I'd, if there's something you want me to do, let me know. Um, you know, get your feet under the desk, work out if there's a gap somewhere. And if you want me to do it, I don't want to be that guy at the back of the net. Um, so yeah, over the next, over that preseason, um, he asked me about the board and we talked about a few different things, but when he came to me and asked me to be a, a Scorchers assistant coach, that just, that just clicked. I went, well, that sounds, that looks like fun. Um, and so for the next three or four years, I just did that. I was with the pharmacy. Um, I'd go into the big bash camp week before the big bash. So from BBL three to probably six or seven, I was literally, that was my role. And I ended up joining the board, um, which, which sort of worked okay with that role. And, you know, I was looking for a different sort of business experience. So the board sort of made sense at the time. And, um, so yeah, so I've never really sort of been away, um, in, in, in any great period of time, um, except for maybe that one year, 11, 12, where, um, I'd sort of stepped away, but then, yeah, Justin dragged me back in. Um, and that's been a real fork in the road really, um, in that it led to me by 2017, 18, I'd, I'd been doing the pharmacy for, for 17 years and, um, I felt, I didn't feel like that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And Justin was coaching still and, um, Adam Griffith went to, to, to Tasmania and I decided to make the leap, um, from pharmacy into, into full-time cricket. And I did two years of that. And then Ben Oliver left and I became the role that I'm in now, which I'm, I'm really loving, which is four years as the general manager of the, the high performance cricket and, and, and the elite team. So, um, yeah, I've always been involved in some way, shape or form. Tell us about being a high performance manager. What does it mean? It's a, it's an interesting title. I've always wondered what, what exactly does a high performance manager do? Yeah, I think we've chatted about this before and it probably was cause for me to reflect on, um, on, on, on the understanding of what that role is. I think it's, you know, it certainly evolved in cricket and, you know, when I first played it, there was a cricket manager that was probably a part-time role, but I think the, the game now is, is pretty bored and it's a business of cricket. Um, and so I'm responsible for the business of of, of high performance cricket, which is, um, you know, I, I lead the, the men's and women's cricket teams, the Perth Scorchers, male and female teams. Um, we look after the pathway, premier cricket, umpiring, um, coach development. So, um, you know, I look after all list management, budgeting, um, scheduling, um, um, you know, but my main role is really putting, um, that I see is, is really putting the right people in the right spots. And that's where I feel like we've, we've had some success over the last few years with the transition from Justin to Adam and, um, and even recently with, with, you know, we brought Shelly Nitschke into the WBBL setup, which, which worked really well. And we're now back with a one coach, which is Becky Grundy and she's amazing. So, um, I feel like my role and that's the last couple of months for me has been, is really putting the pieces in, in place. And, um, you know, certainly the success of the men's team the last two years has been really pleasing. It's a different role to being a coach or being a player. Um, you feel like you're, 
playing a role to putting the right people together and, and putting the right, um, the right values, the right beliefs, the right systems. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been great working with Adam and, uh, and the support staff. There's a great crew there and, um, all the things that we put in place probably two or three years ago have come to fruition with just a wonderful group of people who, um, who are really selfless, but who, who understand their role and play it really well. And we've just got a, a wonderful group of people. It looks like it's a, you mentioned you walked away at one stage and it wasn't an organization you're particularly proud of. It looks like a sharp organization that a lot of people would be proud of at the moment. Oh, and I think that's, that's the legacy for Christina. I think she's just been, um, she brought cricket into, in WA to the 21st century. I think we, we still get dragged into the past a little bit, um, but she's looked forward and, and taken us to a, to being a modern contemporary organization that, that's grown the game of cricket and. You know, Chris has grown the game of cricket um, holistically throughout the community in WA at the same time as being able to have high performance success. You can do both and she's proven that. Um, and she's been a wonderful leader, a wonderful uh, mentor for me um, and support in the role that, that, that we play. She's been a, a huge support of everything that we've tried to do to develop and grow the program. And it's nice for her as much as everyone else to see um, to see those um, rewards on field um, that people see, but um, yeah, as a business, it's a it's a great business to be part of. It's a great organisation to be part of. One I'm really proud of, and I think it's interesting because that hasn't always been the case. You know, I've, I've been part of Wackers before, where I think um, the connection to people and the values and the different things that I think we now stand for are really strong that haven't always been there. So, you know, I think organisations are only as strong as the people and the leaders that run them, and um, I, I feel very fortunate to have been part of this part of this year with, you know, from a coaching side of seeing, seeing, um, Justin transition to Adam and, and Christine has been a constant. I think that strong leadership and the values of those people has held us in good stead and, and something I think a lot of people are proud of that work internally, but also, um, the broader cricketing community. We saw, you know, huge engagement with what the team's been doing the last couple of years. Do you like the game now? I like the game in a, in a different way. Um, I think it's a good question. I think, um, I like the business of the game and I like my role in it. Um, I see it shifting. Um, I think there'll always be a role for what we do. Um, but I think the franchise T20 circuit is, is definitely changing the game. It's shifting, um, it's shifting the player's perspective on, on what they're doing and the opportunities they've got are just so broad now. Um, I still think our greatest strength in the big bash in that space is that we still, and I talked to the players about, it. I presented to the players last week and, and talked to the players a fair bit and I still think our competitive advantage is that people are connected to WA cricket. They're connected to the scorchers there. You still got to bring a people, a group of people together, get the best out of them. Um, and, um, I think that's what we've done really well. I think the players love playing with each other and that's really hard to replicate around the world and around the country. That's a, that's a really good skill set. Well, that's the important skill set the team's going to have now because there's so many guns for hire that, that players just flip from one tournament to the other. And it's hard to care about everything, you know, mm. I think so. Um, one thing that we'll always hold on to true is is the players' connection to to WA cricket, and and, and I think that's held us up pretty well. Kate, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much for sharing your time with us. All the best, and hopefully, given what you've built, I think in the WA program, hopefully, may you long be involved, and uh, may the improvement and development long continue. Been great. Thanks, Mark. Kate Harvey, this has been inspiring sports stories. Thanks to Bower and Doday. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.